Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go back to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And today we lean into your word with hopeful expectation that it's gonna change our life this morning. Right now, we refuse to go through the monotonous routines of men and religion, just the mindless check the box Christianity. But no, today we believe that your word can change us. We believe that your spirit can speak directly into our situation right here and right now. And we open our hearts to the ministry of your word. Be strong in my weakness and may I be hidden behind the message of the cross. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So just wanna give you a little context into the book of Luke. By the way, the name of today's sermon is No Room for the King. Look at your neighbor with some attitude, say there was no room for the king. <laughs> Little context here, the book of Luke was written uh, roughly 60 AD, which was roughly 30 years after the cross, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke is really beautiful because it's a chronological rendering of the life and ministry of Jesus. It starts with his virgin birth and it ends with his resurrection. Um, this picks up at a time during a Roman census where Caesar Augustus deploys a census throughout the entire Roman Empire. And nations would do censuses for two reasons. Number one, because they want to tax the people, all right? So nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Governments are still about that tax, right? They're coming, the IRS is coming for you, all right? So uh, that's not a funny joke. Merry Christmas. Anyway, um, so governments deployed censuses to to see the taxation of the population and also to determine its war readiness, all right? So that's what was happening under the decree of Caesar Augustus, all right? But something unique happened here in the Roman Empire, and that was that you were required to return back to your hometown to register for the census. Thus, Joseph and Mary leaving the village of Nazareth and making the journey down to a small, obscure town named Bethlehem. 
Over the next few moments, we're just gonna go verse by verse right through these seven verses and extract powerful truths that I truly believe can change your life. I'm done with uh, creative sermons. I think we need less creative pastors and we just need to deliver the scripture, all right? Like pastors are mailmen, all right? You don't want your Amazon delivery person to be creative with your package, right? You just want them to deliver it. All right, just tell me, just give it to me, all right? And that's our job. When, when pastors start getting all creative, we start sliding our opinions in there and then bad theology. And so we're just gonna do this. Let's just preach the scripture, all right? And here's the amazing thing. The Bible is anointed. So if you preach the Bible, you'll be anointed. Connect group leaders, that's for you too. Just stick to the scripture, you'll be anointed, all right? People come back because they're getting fed, all right? The first thing I wanna show you is that God is working in the background, God is working in the background. I know you love doing this, but look at your neighbor anyway and tell them God is working in the background. I don't know if you caught the very beginning of Luke chapter two, but it says that Augustus Caesar started to issue a census and it swept through the Roman empire. I want you to recognize that God was at work. He, God used the decree of a pagan Roman emperor to bring about his perfect will and plan. I want you to see the sovereign hand of God Almighty at work right here. Like who in the world would have imagined that when God chose to bring his son into the world, he would do so by order of a pagan heathen emperor and use him as a pawn in his hand to bring about the biblical prophecy. Listen to this. The word of God says in Proverbs 21.1 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it wheresoever he will. In other words, Caesar Augustus was not just acting in his own will and admonition. No, it was the very hand of an almighty God who nudged the heart of Caesar Augustus to take the census because it was at just the right time in just the right place that provoked Joseph and Mary to leave this village of Nazareth and make the 80 mile journey down to a town called Bethlehem where ultimately Christ would be born. That is significant because that is the fulfillment of messianic prophecies of old that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I want you to see that God's hand was working in the, in the background of history and nobody else was aware. God was even using Caesar Augustus to bring about his great plan. God is working even when you don't see him and even when you don't feel him. What's the name of that song that everybody loves? Waymaker. I forgot it at the 830 service. I was up here like, help me. What's the name of the song? They reminded me. I'm so bad with song titles and artists. But the song Waymaker, which is like my jam. TJ's tired of playing it here. Anyway, it says, even when I can't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel you, I know you're moving. And that's what I came to remind you of this morning is in the middle of your circumstance, you might feel like God is a million miles away and you might not see his hand at work in your life. But I want to affirm you through the text that even in the background of history, when men could not perceive it, God was intricately involved in the affairs of men. God is working even though you cannot perceive it. Our limited 
ability to perceive does not restrict the working of his hand in our life. God's at work in the background of our life. God uses unlikely people in unlikely places. He could have moved in Egypt or in the halls of Rome, but instead God works in a little village called Nazareth and Bethlehem. He uses unlikely people like Caesar Augustus and a teenage girl from Nazareth. God can use anybody when he's working in the world. And rarely does God move in the way that we would expect him to. Rarely does God do what we anticipate him to do. Often when God works in our life, it is at inconvenient, inopportune times, and it doesn't look like God working when in all actuality, it is God working. Like we have this expectation that when God is going to move in our life, it's going to look one way. But in actuality, God works in mysterious ways. But he's working even in the background, even when you don't see it. Now, look at this. God working in their lives was at a very inconvenient time. All right. Mary was about to have a baby. She was like nine months pregnant, ready to go. And Joseph's like, all right, honey, get your things together. We're going to go to Bethlehem. And by the way, when we read this from like our lazy boy recliner, we like think you just get in the car and hop on 45 and just a couple hours. You'd be, no, no. Nazareth was 80 miles away from Bethlehem. Historians say this was likely a five day journey by foot or donkey. And if you've ever traveled with a pregnant lady, you know it takes twice as long. Ladies, that's not a shot at you. You are the hero. You are the real hero. All right, you, women are definitely the stronger species, no question about it. A common cold takes me out and my wife gave birth to two children, like a warrior. I'm just telling you, just relax. Don't send me an email. I'm just, I'm complimenting. Okay. Hey, true story. My wife was about eight months pregnant and I, I was doing a ministry thing in Raleigh and I was like, Hey babe, come on with me. Just, we'll just go up for a couple of days. We'll come back. She was like, uh, uh, I will not be in Raleigh. Cause I'm not about to have that baby in Raleigh. And I don't even want you going. By the way, she had the baby the next day when I got back from Raleigh. Okay, but, but think about it. Think about it. It was an inopportune time. So inconvenient. Really bad timing on God's part. God rarely does what you think he should, when you think he should, and God's timing is not your timing. His ways are higher than your ways, so much higher than the heavens above the earth. His thoughts are so much greater than yours. God rarely moves the way we think he should when we think he should. And hear me today. I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to hear this. He is an on-time God. He's never late and he's never early. He's always right on time. I want to show you that through this scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. This is right after Jesus fed the 5,000 on the shores of Bethsaida. These people had just seen a miracle and now he tells the disciples to get into the boat and he sends them across the, 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 the sea there while he goes up to the mountain to pray. And right in the darkness, around midnight, a violent storm swelled up out of nowhere and threatened to capsize the ship that the disciples were on. They started to panic and they were concerned. Watch where we pick up here in Matthew 14, 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. By the way, the fourth watch is 3 a.m. in the morning. Jesus did not come when the disciples wanted him to show up. He didn't arrive early, but he also, glory to God, was not late. He showed up right on time in the fourth watch at 3 a.m., right before the ship was about to break, came walking on the water. I want you to understand that often when God is right on time, it feels like he's late. From our perspective, it feels like, where have you been? Peter's like, man, we've been about to drown out here in the darkness, and here you come at 3 a.m. I needed you at like 11. All the single people. Jesus, I was supposed to be married by now. <laughs> I'm preaching to you now. So rarely is God's timing your timing, but his ways are perfect. His ways are better than our ways. And in the waiting, God is preparing you to be the person you were created to be so you can handle the thing you've been praying for. Some of y'all want to get married now, but you're not ready to be a husband. You're not ready to be a wife. God wants to develop you. He wants to sanctify you, change you, refine you, preparing you for what you're praying for. Listen, it may be dark in your life today. It may feel like time is running out, but I just want to encourage you that there is hope and Jesus is on the way and he is always on time. It may feel late, but he's on time. Another just perspective out of this text is that in the moment when God is at work, you may not perceive it, but one day you'll be able to look back and see, surely it was God's hand that carried me and provided for me in that moment. Rarely in the moment do we recognize it's God. Some people, I just want you to hear me on this. Some people, you may have had some church hurt in your past that you were overwhelmed with, disappointed, frustrated, and it caused you to get out of that church. And now you found another church, hopefully a good one, hopefully this one. And not that we're trying to steal sheep, but in the moment you look at it and you say, that was a terrible thing that happened to me. But now when you look back and you're starting to grow spiritually and you're learning God's word and you're prospering spiritually, then you can look back and say, in the moment, I didn't see it was you. In the moment, I didn't feel it. But now that I look back, I see it was your hand that guided me. It was you that cared for me. You, you were with me all along. You were working in the behind the scenes of my life when I was completely and utterly unaware. Amen. Maybe you got busted with some things, some drugs. Maybe you got arrested. Hopefully you didn't get arrested, but maybe you did. And in the moment, you're like, this is the devil. But that act of you being caught, you being exposed, became the very catalyst to you being clean today. And you, you, now you look back and you say, no, surely that was the hand of God. He used Caesar. He used him. In my, it didn't feel like it. It didn't see it. But now when I look back, I can't help but see the hand of God was with me all along. I want you to know that he is a faithful God and he is concerned with the affairs of men. He truly is. Some of you, you look back and you say, well, she broke up with me. You know, he broke up with me. And in the moment, it didn't feel like God. But now you look back, and you say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Praise. It's <laughs> trying to make a point that God's at work behind the scenes in your life. May feel inconvenient, may feel inopportune, but trust him. 
He is the God who orders the steps of the righteous. And by the way, God's plan for your life is revealed through scripture. That's why this is your daily bread, your daily guide, and the word is a lamp unto your feet. It's not a spotlight that shows 100 yards down the line of exactly what your future is gonna be and every decision you should make. No, but it will give you just enough wisdom to take the next step when you don't know where to go. It is a lamp unto your feet that illuminates your path. That's why we gotta be in the word. It is our God, it is our lamp. Moving on to verse five. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So I want to read right there. Um, I don't know about you, but you don't have to be a theologian to look at this and say, things are out of order here. Tough crowd, but just listen. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a theologian, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to um, get engaged, get married, then have the baby, and then take the overnight trips. Oh, I got a young church. I'm going to hang out here for a minute. See, let me, let me explain the order again. Let me explain the order again. You date them and not for 10 years. Oh, let me just, I'm connected with, this is spirit moving now. I can't tell you how many young people I talk to and I'm like, well, what are y'all doing? Oh, are you, what are you? Like, oh, we talking. What does talking mean? Are you that scared of commitment that you can't say you're my girlfriend? You're my, are you, what, come on. Men, men, it is time to grow up and be a man. Stop. Oh, oh we, just, we just talking. No, no, that means you're keeping your options open. I don't even know how I got here. All right, here we go. Here's the order. You date her, and by the way, this stuff of being, I'm just gonna hurt everybody's feelings. And I'm gonna do a relationship series in, in February. I, re- I promise, I am. But listen, if she loves the Lord and is born again, and you love the Lord and you're born again, congratulations, you're compatible. You say, well, I don't know. You know, there's not all this chemistry. Stop it. If she loves Jesus and you love Jesus, congratulations, you are compatible. Y'all are having a hard time with this sermon, but challenge me, challenge me. I'll be here after the service. It's true. Now, the order is you date her, you get engaged to her, then you get married to her, then you have babies with her, and, and all in that, and then you can take the overnight trips and stuff. But what I want you to see in the scripture is that it was a little bit messy, it was a little bit scandalous and controversial. Now, here's, listen, we try to romanticize the Christmas story. In America today, we're like, oh, just think of that beautiful little manger and the angels and the, the you know, it's just so beautiful. No, no. The Christmas story was rugged. It was scandalous and it was messy. Mary was not married and she had a baby and it wasn't his. You're shocked, but this is the Bible. You should read it sometime. And she's from a little village called Nazareth, which means everybody knows everybody. So the girl's at the well talking about Mary. My second point in this sermon is it's not what it looks like. Look at your neighbor. Help me preach. Say it's not what it looks like. The takeaway here, the takeaway here for us truly, the life application 
is that don't be too judgmental. Don't judge on the outward appearance because everybody has a story and you don't know what they've been through and it may not be what it looks like. Because I can promise you the people of First Assembly in her day were like, uh-uh, girl, that's the devil's work there. But it was the hand of God. Because sometimes God works behind the scenes in ways you did not expect, through people that you did not expect. And be careful that you do not judge, label, or, or have preconceived notions. Don't judge people too soon. Now, I want to just take another moment and just kind of bring this home to you. Uh, because in church, we do this. In church, we are quick to judge people before we hear their story. We're like, can you believe he wore that to church? He had holes in his jeans and he actually stood on the stage. Can you believe she wore that to church? I cannot believe she came up in here wearing that to church. See, be careful. You're not too quick to judge because you don't know where they came from. And instead of judging their appearance, let's be thankful that they're here. Because you don't know, this might be the first time she ever walked into a church before. It might be the first time he ever donned the doors of a church. And pastor, are you saying that we shouldn't be modest in respect? No, we should be. But modesty comes through discipleship. And so let's love the people, no matter what they look like, how they dress, what they wear. Let's love people. May love be the default of our life. And we can't hold people... We we can't hold people to a standard that we've never taught. Be careful because it's not always what it looks like. There's some people, you know, I've heard before. Why do people praise God like that and shout like that? Why why do people have to worship that way in church? Well, listen, just because they don't worship like you doesn't mean it's wrong. It's not what it looks like. Be careful that you don't judge people too soon because you don't know their story. You don't know how much God has done in their life to bring them to that place right there where they are free to worship him in spirit and in truth. And by the way, at this church, we've got people from all backgrounds, all avenues of life, people that were atheists, Mormon, agnostic, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecost. We got it all coming in here and not everybody's going to worship like you, but I just want to be careful. I just want you to be careful. Don't judge too quickly. Because it may not be what it looks like. In fact, this exact situation happened in the Gospels. And I want to tell it to you really quickly. It's found in Luke chapter 7, verse 41. I'll give you the context and then I'll read it. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. And while he's there, an immoral woman came to the dinner party. How many of you know if the Bible calls you immoral... That's a bad girl, all right? She was doing some bad things, all right? Doesn't even give us her name. She's just a moral woman. She interrupts the dinner party at this prestigious Pharisee's home by worshiping Jesus out loud. She begins to praise him. She falls at his feet. She breaks open an alabaster jar and pours out this expensive perfume on Jesus. She weeps out loud. And with her hair, she wipes her tears from the feet of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were offended. It interrupted their plan and they judged her worship. They said, how could somebody worship like that? In fact, the Pharisee thought to himself, if this were really the Messiah, he would know that it's a sinner touching him. 
So Jesus answered his thoughts here in Luke 7, 41. And this is what he said. Then Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, he's saying to the Pharisees, he's rebuking them. He's saying, how dare you judge her based on her outward appearance and how dare you judge her worship because you have no idea what she's been through to come to this place where she can worship me. She's been forgiven a great debt and those who have been forgiven of much, they cannot hold back their praise. When they realize just how much he did for them, they burst with exuberant praise. Now, let me just teach for another minute for a second. You know, and I'm going to do a worship series in January too. So I'm just giving you a little preview. There is a difference between praise and worship. It's important. Worship can be silent and internal and stoic. Worship truly can be. You could, you could worship and there be no external expression. Oh, but praise? There's no such thing as a silent praise. There's no such thing as an unspoken praise. No, if you're going to praise the Lord... It's going to be jubilant with, resounding, with a resounding voice and shout and praise. Praise cannot keep quiet. And we praise him for all that he has done for us because we've been forgiven much. Now, one more thing really quickly out of this story. And church, I really believe this is for us today. The Pharisee heard that, that, that parable and he was like, okay, well, I'm pretty good. So I'm the one that's been forgiven 50 and she... 500. And if that's how you look at this story, you're completely missing it. Because what Jesus was really saying is we've all been forgiven a great debt. Just not everybody realizes it. People say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. Yeah, well, your thought life has been pretty deplorable, pretty broken. We were, one person agrees with me. Okay, listen, we've all, just whether you agree with it or not, you have all been forgiven much. So he is deserving of our praise and our adoration. Now, one more thing. Worship and praise should be in order in the church. Because some of you hear this sermon and you're like, okay, yes, that means I can just go wild. You know, whatever I want to do, I can do it. No. Scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is freedom. But your liberty and your freedom stops when the attention shifts from God to you. If the focus of our worship shifts from God to your activity, that's when you've gone too far in your freedom and expression. But until then, you go ahead on and praise the Lord. You go, in fact, I want you to worship the Lord. Listen, I don't want to pastor a funeral home. I'd rather this be a, a wedding celebration. Uh, I mean, after all this, and, and just while I'm here, you know, we think it's so weird when we go into a church and people clap and praise and sing. And we're like, man, this is a weird church. But then you go to the Panthers game and you paint your face and you yell at guys running around with plastic on their head and you think that's normal. Just gonna set it down. Just go. And here's the truth. You're gonna go to, and listen, I yell at the football game too, all right? But look, you're gonna leave the game and three hours later, you're gonna forget the score. 
but we're talking about the king of glory. The one who stepped into earth to take away the sins of the world. And go ahead and read the Bible. Go ahead and read it. Because in the Old Testament, they praised him out loud. They worshiped him with expression. Not to be a show or to out-spiritualize other people, but because it was every fiber of their being responding in holy adoration to a great and mighty king. Three people agree with it. Oh, well, that's all right. It's true. It's true. Moving on to verse seven. She gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This is powerful. And this is the main point of today's sermon. There was no room for the king. Feel this church. 2,000 years ago, the God who created the heavens and the earth. Listen, Jesus all things were created through him and by him, according to John 1. He was with God in the beginning, outside of time, space, and matter. And at his command, the oceans took their place and the mountains rose out of the waters. At the word of his command, the stars illuminate the heavens and the universe unfolded. Creator God stepped out of heaven into bodily form. And when he came to the earth that he created... The world did not recognize him. And in fact, the world had no room for him. At his very birth, the scripture is showing you an image of the spiritual condition of the world. When it says there was no room for them in the end, it's not just trying to tell you that the hotels were really busy in Bethlehem that night. What it's trying to show you is a vivid illustration that the world had closed their heart to its king. He was, do you hear me? He was born in a cave, laid in a stone manger. It was a feeding trough that animals ate out of. The king of glory born in those conditions because the world had no room for him. And the truth is, today, 2,000 years later, the world still has no room for the king. You think that Jesus would be popular today? Like, really, Jesus, in what he really preached? Do you, let me tell you something. He would be thrown out of our Christian conferences, these mega hipster conferences that are so flashy. They would never invite Jesus back. First time he said, eat my body, drink my blood, they'd be like, mm, cancel this guy. He is not, he's killing the vibe. <laughs> oh, you think, oh, you think, you think you would love and hail Jesus until he convicts you and challenges you. See, the world had no room for the king then, and it has no room for him still today. I'm going to give you a few examples. First of all, the education system of America has no room for him today. These great Ivy League institutions, do you realize that they were founded to be theological seminaries, to train men and women to preach and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth now? He is not welcome in their halls. There is no room for Jesus. In fact, professors and philosophers and the great thinkers of today, they mock and ridicule the very Bible that Christ himself taught as the authoritative word of God. I'm not preaching against education. I'm just illustrating a reality today that if you're going to be a Christian, it won't be because you went to college. It'll be in spite of it. 
because the world has no room for the king. Our public school system, there was a time where you could pray. There was a time where the Bible was actually in the classroom, but that day is long gone, decades gone. And today there's no room for the king. Today, transgenders and drag queens can come and read to the children, but there's no room for Jesus. And by the way, if you feel a little tense by me saying that, I want you to hear me that we love all people. We respect all people but we do not love and enable a sinful lifestyle that separates you from God. There is in our education system today, no room for Jesus. And by the way, just a quick high level observation, there has been a steep moral decline in our nation ever since he was removed from our system, from our school system. And today there are unspeakable tragedies of violence and atrocities that happen all across our nation through attacking our children. And today, many of us, when these things happen, we ask the question, where is God? Well, we threw him out 50 years ago, but you want him now in a time of crisis and in a time of need. There's no room for the king. In our government, in Raleigh, in Washington, there's room for a lot of things, but there's not room for the king, for Jesus. In fact, there's room for everything else. Mohammed, Allah, Buddha, Harry Krishna, Confucius, you name it, all that's celebrated. But you mention the name Jesus and people recoil. You ever wondered why that is? Why is nobody offended at the other false religions? And yes, I said false religions. And listen, again, we love and respect people of different faiths. And I'll defend your right to believe whatever you want to. And I'll respect you as a person and I will love you as a person, but I'm going to tell you what you're believing is false. And I won't apologize for it because that belief system leads to hell. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. You either believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, or you don't. There's one way to heaven, one way to the Father. It is through Jesus Christ, the Lord. And that's not be, being narrow-minded. That's because only Christ died for you. Muhammad didn't die for you. Buddha didn't climb up on a cross for you. And even if they did, they were not divine in human form. Only God, only Christ, sinless, spotless Lamb of God could take away the sins of the world. Only Jesus. I will forever and unashamedly declare forever and always only Jesus. He's not a way. He's the way. There's not room for Jesus in our own lives. We can talk about him here on Sunday, but in the rest of our lives, there's no room for him. We don't read the Bible. We don't pray. We don't spend time in his presence. We don't do anything extra because there's no room for him in our lives. We're busy. And we're satisfied with the surface level Christianity. Just saying, oh yeah, he's, he's my savior. Well, I want to warn you. The scripture says many will call me Lord, Lord. And I'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It's not about what you talk. It's about how you live. James said faith without action is dead. So you can say, oh, I love you, Lord. But then your actions, you have no room for him in your life. You, you don't live for him. Listen, I'm not saying be perfect, but I'm saying if you really believe him, your life will change. If you really believe this book, you'll die to yourself so that Christ can live. If you really believe this book, you'll repent of your sin and, and follow after Jesus. 
I wonder, is there room for the king in your life? I want to take a second real quick and just tell you that one of the reasons there's no room for Jesus in our school system, in our government, or even in our own lives is because we think that we know better. Oh yeah, the Bible, yeah, but I know. Have you ever, I'm going to deviate for a second. Have you ever read the book of Judges or heard of the book of Judges? (laughs) See, you're making my first point true. All right. Sorry. Love you, but you're welcome. (laughs) If you've ever read the book of Judges, it is absolute pandemonium and chaos. It is violence. It is lust, rape. It is atrocious. It really is. 21 chapters of heinous violence. And critics of our faith have read Judges and they say, well, if that's the kind of God you serve, I want nothing to do with him. Well, but they're completely missing the point because the book of Judges is not a depiction of what life looks like when you follow Jesus. The whole point of the 21 chapters of Judges is to show you and I what life looks like when we are the God of our own life. It is the blind leading the blind. In fact, Judges says it point blank. The very last verse of the 21st chapter says this, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They lived without a king. And so they did what seemed to be right in their own eyes. And the result was chaos, violence, and sexual immorality. That was the result. Scripture says there's a way before every man that seems to be right, but it ends in death. I want to warn you, if he is not the king of your... Listen, do you think you are moral enough to navigate life and to govern the world and to tell other people. No, no, you are not the moral judge. You are not the creator. He alone gives morality. He alone writes his word and his law on our hearts. And if we live our life without a king, the result will certainly be chaos. But the world comes into order when we follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at his teachings. Tell me his ways not better. I could go on and on on that, but I won't. By the way, I also wonder, is there room for the king in the churches of America? This one breaks my heart, but I don't believe that today there's room for Jesus, even in the churches of America. We've made the church into a den of thieves. We've replaced prayer with entertainment. We've replaced the preaching of the gospel with feel-good, sugar-coated, self-help TED Talks that make people feel better on the outside, but do nothing to change them. By the way, self-help is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says you can't help you. You need him. Second Timothy four, three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because having itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside by fables. We've replaced the worship of God with the celebrity of men. We have replaced the great commission with our pastor's vision. May God have mercy. Jesus did not ask me, what do you want to do at Vision Church? It's not about my vision. This church is named Vision. You know what our vision is? His commission. Win souls. Make disciples. It didn't come from me. It came from him. 
And sadly, there's no room for the king in many churches today because we love our traditions more than we love our neighbors. We would rather do the same thing we did since 1981 because we like it rather than change and transform to reach a world that is lost and dying without Jesus. May God have mercy and may he come to his church again. But I wanna leave you with good news this morning. The scripture says that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he will find a church that has made herself ready, that is washed in the blood of the lamb, that is cleansed by the washing of his word. That tells me the church, her best days are yet to come. The greatest days are still to come. The blood of God, the word of God will wash his church one day. And if I'm being honest with you, I believe you're watching it unfold right now because you're watching churches that truly believe in the scripture and its authority versus those who don't. You're watching the great divide right before your eyes. The church is being cleansed and washed by the blood of the lamb. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in Jesus' mighty name and we repent for loving the things created more than the creator himself. Today, we repent for having no place for you in our lives. We repent today for treating you as an afterthought in our life and in our world. We repent for being the king, the God of our own life. But the truth is the result is emptiness and chaos and confusion. And today we restore you to your rightful place as the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. We believe there's power in the blood of Jesus that your blood was shed to take away our sin. You died, were buried, and on the third day, you rose in victory. You are the resurrection and the life. I serve you. I live for you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Lord, be my King. Be my God. Change me and fill me with your spirit. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com, or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.